Welcome to the Royal Christian Centre Sermon Podcast. Right hand of the Father in glory. Christ Jesus, we acknowledge before you that as your work is perfectly completed, our conquering, victorious, glorious God, there's a work for us to do today. Lord Jesus, in a moment we're going to sit in these lovely seats in this nice room, but Lord Jesus Christ, spiritually we recognize now's not the time for sitting down. You're seated at the right hand of the Father in glory because you are perfectly in control. Your work is perfectly complete. Lord Jesus Christ, we hear the call, God, that there's a work for us to do today. Lord Jesus Christ, we want to follow in your footsteps. We want to see conquering wonders done in our times. Lord Jesus, we want to see our lives be lives of overcoming, lives of victory, lives, Lord Jesus Christ, that bring the grace and the goodness of God into our town, into our neighbourhoods, into our places of work and of study. Lord Jesus Christ, you have made the way for us to be like you. Christ Jesus, that we tonight, would be, we would resolve to be like you in this. We would resolve to be like you in devotion and in faithfulness. We would resolve to be like you in courage. We would resolve to be like you in victory, no matter the cost. To the glory of your great name. Lord Jesus Christ, that we would be like you. For we love you. We love you because you first loved us. Praise be to your name. Hallelujah. Amen. 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 You're very welcome to grab a seat for a moment or two if you'd like to. my privilege to talk a little bit this evening from the Word of God. So we believe that the Word of God is powerful, powerful to teach us about Jesus. Through this we know him who saves. And I don't know whether you heard a little bit in Chris's testimony this evening, but he said a couple of really interesting and exciting things, I thought, that from the age of seven in the morning, he would open up day by day the word for you today. Did you hear that? Um, a short devotional, not massive chunks of the Bible. Chris, age seven, wasn't reading the Old Testament twice a day and the New Testament three times, were you, Chris? But you were reading the Word of God, weren't you? And then in the evening, tops. That was your evening devotional? Morning and evening. There's some good people of God who've gone before you reading morning and evening, devoting themselves to the Word of God. There's a man named uh, Spurgeon. And he wrote morning and evening devotions and he saw God do utterly remarkable things through his life and his ministry. I tell you what, anybody who is willing to open up the word of of God to begin their day and to find the end of their day in the word of God as well will do wonders, exploits in God. And this is God's promise to you. It's his promise to all who believe and, and show so. It's one thing to say we believe, isn't it? It's another thing to really do it. And may God bless you as you do what you do. Would that we would do likewise. The word of God is powerful. 
powerful. It's challenging. It's arresting. It's marvelous. Stretching. When we open the Word of God, we would do well to do so with a little bit of trepidation, an awful lot of expectation. We do well to do so believing that God is going to do wonders in our lives. This morning we opened up what will be our theme for the next few weeks, thinking about what it is to be in a battle, what it is to be part of a fight. And in a moment or two, we're going to return to our our scriptures from this morning, Ephesians chapter 6. But when we opened up that short passage of the Bible, we found that the fight, the battle, the struggle that was described there, not a a battle, not a fight against people, not against flesh and blood, a spiritual battle, we found that this wasn't something for people way back when. This wasn't just for professional Christians. This wasn't something just for angels to get involved in or just for God to do. We found that the Bible says very specifically, this is our fight. Our fight. You may say to me this evening, I've never picked a fight in my life, Pastor Greg. I'm very shy and retiring. Well, that doesn't really change anything. To be a Christian is to be a warrior. To be a Christian is to be a warrior for the kingdom of God, for justice, for righteousness, for salvation in Jesus Christ's name. I remember as a kid um, in junior school, um, and I went to a lovely junior school. I had loads of great mates in that school. Um, But on one occasion, there's a particular episode in my schooling that is just etched in my memory. You know, these things, they never go away, do they? There are just certain things, and they just stick in your memory, in your experience. They don't go away. I had a good friend. His name was Matty. I'm not going to tell you his surname, just by the off chance that some of you might know him. But he was Matty. He was a good lad, really good mate. He was much cooler than me. Um, I'm sure he still is. Anybody have mates who are much, much more impressive than them? Yeah? Okay. Uh, We all have them, don't we? Some of you are like, no. (laughs) I am the coolest friend. Uh, No, I'm sure. Well, he was much more cool than me. And what happened? We moved into a new school year. And we'd been mates all the way through school. There were four of us. We were four musketeers, not three. And, but then in this new school year, for whatever genius reason, uh, only known to the teachers, they decided that my mate Matty, he would go into a different class. And so the three of us were together in one class. We were fine. He was put in a different class. That doesn't seem fair. All right, does it? Oh, you're really feeling this this evening, aren't you? This is terrible. Um, but there he was. and He was quite a robust lad. So of all, any of us to happen to, it, it was probably best that it happened to him. But we kind of, we didn't see each other so much uh, from there on in. We would see each other just at break time, play time, all those kinds of times. Um, and then on one occasion, on one occasion, and I remember this vividly, um, we were playing there in the playground, as you do. I don't remember what it was. Line tick off-ground tick, footy. You know, remember all the good old games when you were a kid? You you remember all these things? We didn't need toys, did we? We could just play. We were awesome at it. And there we were, playing, enjoying our time. And then out of nowhere, up comes Matty. And I think he's going to say, hey, we're going to play or something. And do you know what? He punched me in the belly. Really hard. And then, I've no idea where this came from. You are as shocked as I was. And then off he toddled, back to his new mates. I know, 
I know. It came out of nowhere. I can only imagine, and I didn't imagine this at the time. I was just shocked and horrified, as you would be. I was a delicate little soul. But I still might be, I don't know. I, I can only imagine in retrospect that somehow somebody who perhaps just didn't like me for whatever reason put him up to it. He, he was a good guy. He wouldn't have done that. I didn't pick a fight. Truth is, I'm not sure I've ever picked a fight in that kind of way. Uh, I'll have to think about that. Every once in a while, a fight comes your way and you haven't looked for it. Isn't that true in life? And I don't just mean in the playground. Sometimes struggles, sometimes things that you've got to wrestle with in life, sometimes turmoil and trial, it comes your way even though you're not looking for it. Isn't that right? Now, if we know this is true in our natural lives, why are we surprised that there might be a fight in our spiritual lives? Christians, we spend far too much of our Christian lives trying to seek an easy life, a quiet life, a simple life. We think if, if I just keep my head below the parapet, then no trouble will come my way. Can I burst that bubble for you this evening? The Bible says very clearly that you, that me, that we, the people of God, have a fight. There's a struggle to be entered into. There's something to wrestle with. And the Bible teaches very clearly, this is not talking about people, no matter how much they might wind you up. God is not giving me a mandate to hunt down Matty and you know, give him a piece of my mind. No, no, no. Our battles, not against flesh and blood, it's against spiritual powers. The rulers of this dark world, this dark age, there's a wrestling to be done with nothing short of evil itself. And this morning we considered what that battle might look like, how it might be that even as Christians we might perhaps have retreated from that battle, but there is a new season for us to come into, a season of fighting. A season of fighting on behalf of the lost. A season of fighting on behalf of the weak. A season of fighting on behalf of those who are far from God. And God calls us to invest ourselves in this. This evening, I wonder, would you, if you've got a Bible, turn to Colossians in chapter 2 with me. We want to read a little portion of the Bible together and consider not just what is the fight but how to fight. Colossians chapter 2. And we'll read from the beginning of that chapter. For I want you to know. Who wants who to know? The I is Paul. He's the guy who's writing here. He's a follower of Jesus Christ. He's a theologian. That means he understands God and wants to show God to people. And he is speaking to a church, a group of Christians in a city called Colossae. So I, Paul, want you, the church, to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face. So that includes us because none of us saw Paul. He lived a long time ago. You won't want to see his face now. It'd probably be pretty rotten and gross. We are being spoken to here, and Paul is struggling that their hearts may be encouraged 
being knit together in love to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. When there's a fight, when there's a battle, when there's a struggle, um, there's a front line, isn't there? Uh, there's, there's, a, there's a point when the battle is fiercest, where the struggle is uh, the most intense. You know, the, the Paul here talks about how the hearts of the Christians might be knit together. Just last week, uh, we talked about a couple of friends in the Bible, David and Jonathan. And the Bible says that their souls were knit together. This is exactly the same kind of an idea, that people of faith, struggling, journeying, fighting together in faith, might be knit together. But for David, um, Saul, who was the king at the time, was wanting him to, well, to die. He was wanting to get rid of him. He was getting too too popular, too promising. And so time after time, you would seek that David would be put in the fiercest part of the fighting, that front line kind of situation. And yet even so, David prospered in such a situation. God enabled him to be a phenomenal warrior and to achieve even in the worst kind of situations. Now, this evening, I want us to consider for a moment or two, if there is a fight, a spiritual fight, if it is our fight, then where's the front line? It's all well and good if I were to spend this evening getting you all riled up and ready to go and ready and raring and you're like, let me at him, let me at him. I'm ready to go, I'll fight. And we could wind one another up and push one another out the door. Where would we go? Where is the fight? Where is the front line? Where's the point of the struggle? If we don't identify where this fight is, where we ought to be going, then we're never going to achieve anything. Paul, when he's talking about his struggle, for his struggle for people, he's talking about people as the kingdom of God is expanding. There's this city, Colossae. There's another place, Laodicea. There's people who've not even seen him face to face yet. We can't really imagine such a world, can we? We want to see someone's face. Where do we go? Facebook, probably. There's nobody that you can't really know. It's so easy. It's so easy to kind of know what's going on in our world. But in the world in which they lived, advancement came through hard miles put in by foot. They would tramp from place to place, go somewhere with nothing. Absolutely nothing. And they would seek that people would come to faith in Jesus Christ. I say they would go with nothing. What they would go with was the commission of God and in the power of God. And truly, they found that that was all they needed. But they would go. They would say, where do people not yet know about Jesus Christ? 
Where are people in the darkness of a lack of understanding? Where are people oppressed by false religion, by false beliefs? Where are people being eaten alive by the troubles of this world? Where are people in dire need? Where are people lost and lonely? And they would repeatedly ask themselves these questions. And they would say to their God questions like, God, who are you sending me to? Where shall I go? Who is your heart burning for today, God? How should I take the gospel? These were the questions that motivated people like Paul. They had no trouble in finding where the front line was. Because their entire purpose, their entire devotion was to get to the front line. It was to say, where is the need? The principal need of Jesus Christ and his saving grace. And they would get themselves to that place. I think all too often the Christian church has found itself saying, well, where is the need? And then retreating as far away as possible from it. We'd rather say, well, where can we be comfortable? Where can I find friendship? Where can I be valued? Where can I be cherished? Where can I be fed? Where can I get this or that or the other? We must challenge ourselves. What question are we asking? Are we asking that we be way back where? Or are we asking how we get to the front line? Again, to think about that young man David in the Old Testament. There came a time when the giant Goliath, you know the story, came and challenged the people of God. And he was so fearsome, so terrible, that nobody wanted to fight him. And David comes, sent by his dad to bring supplies to his brothers. And his brothers look at this young lad, David, and they, why are you even here? Give us the food and go. Get back with the baggage. That's where you belong. David was the man of God. He was the man with the commission of God. He was the man with the heart of God. He was the man with the courage that would fight lions and bears. He wasn't phased by a giant, but he was being sent back to be with the baggage. I wonder, Christian, how do you see yourself? How do you see yourself? You see, the Bible teaches me that people who have after the heart of God, it wasn't just a one-time only thing. It wasn't just a David thing. It's the calling upon your life. You're intended to be like David. And just as David wasn't intended to be back with the baggage, he was intended to be in the front line. The same is true of you. It took a long and convoluted way for people to realize that David was the man of the hour. That David was the man who would bring the salvation of God to his people. How long will it take before we realize that we're the people of the hour? How long will it take before we stop looking this way and that to professional soldiers, as it were, to deliver the victory and realize that God has given us everything we need? What did David end up with? A sling. A stone for each of his brothers. Not for his brothers, but on behalf of his brothers. That's all he had. Faith in God. Goliath came to him snorting threats and dire horrors. And David came to him. He said, you come against me with all of this. All the weight of your armor, all of the power of your arm. I come against you in the name of God. Faith. Fervor. 
Passion for the fight. Are you with the baggage or are you on the front line? It's not too hard to find where the front line is, I don't think. Front line's all around us. The need's all around us. Will we go there? When we consider where the front line is, we consider also, what are the enemy's schemes? Paul describes how he struggles for those on the front line, the people that he's bringing to faith in Jesus Christ, the people who he's encouraging to go on in their faith. What does he find that the enemy, the spiritual enemy is doing? He says, I want you to know about Jesus. He's the only mystery worth knowing in life. He says, I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. Seems to me there are a billion and one plausible arguments in our world. The plausible argument of getting ahead in your career. The plausible argument of accumulating wealth and possessions. The plausible argument of finding your soul satisfaction in the relationship with a boyfriend, a girlfriend, a husband, a wife. The plausible argument that if we can just have more experiences, then our lives will be full. The plausible argument that there are many, many, many ways to be right with God when truthfully there's only one. The plausible argument that we need to work on being good ourselves when truthfully we can never be good enough. There are so many Plausible arguments in our world. And so many people are deceived and confused and lost. So Paul fights against these schemes. What does he fight with? Does he fight with another scheme? Another argument? Well, in a sense, maybe it is an argument. But truthfully, he fights simply with Jesus. In his day and age, people were saying, this is the mystery you need to see. If you find this hidden truth, then your life will really have meaning. Paul says, here's the mystery. Here's the truth. It ain't so hidden. It's Jesus. No matter the scheme that you face in our world, Jesus is always the answer. We overcomplicate the fight. We overcomplicate the fight. Jesus Christ is the only answer. He's the only victory. He's the only hope. In Hebrews 12 and verse 4, the Bible says, In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. Well, that's quite dramatic, isn't it? In your struggle, you've not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. You're saying, Pastor Greg, you're, you're making this battle sound really troubling now. Honestly, what did you think a fight was like? <laughs> and for the people of God at the time, they weren't being martyred just then. But they knew that if they were to resist the ways of darkness, of wickedness, of sin, if they were to resist the powers of evil in our world, resist them even within their own lives, rejecting sin, which wages war against your soul, if they were to reject these things, if they were to reject them in their culture, if they were to lead other people away from death and toward life, they knew that there would be cost. Some of these people they'd seen or they knew people who had seen Jesus Christ upon a cross shedding blood for the salvation of the world. 
And they considered that if that was the fight that they were joining in, if he was the one that they were following in faith, that this may be the price for them to pay. They knew where the front line was. They knew the schemes they were fighting against. They knew what they were fighting with. Nothing short of Jesus himself. There's a a wonderful Christian book that I love, and I reckon you know I love it. It's written by a man named John Bunyan, and it's called The Pilgrim's Progress. And uh, honestly, I'm going to keep on mentioning it until everyone's read it. Uh, So we might be here a while. Um, It was written a long time ago, and so the language of it is quite old-fashioned. But the general story goes like this, that there's a man, and he's called Christian, which makes it very easy to understand, doesn't it? And he goes from a city of destruction, by the grace of God, towards the city of Zion. It's the journey of his life coming to faith in Jesus Christ, being set free from his sin, being set free from the weight of this and being enabled to journey all the way into eternal presence of Jesus Christ. At one point along the journey, this man, Christian, a person just like you or like me, he comes upon the fight. And in the story, the fight is coming up against a foul fiend who goes by the name of Apollyon. As the story goes on, I considered reading it to you this evening. I love a good read, but I thought it's a bit too long, so we won't. The story comes that Apollyon considers Christian to be under his rule because he's the master of the city of destruction. Uh, What is happening here is when any of us, when any of us choose to reject the mastery of sin and wickedness over our lives and choose to submit ourselves to the mastery of God, there's a fight to be had. It's such a basic truth, isn't it? We see it, don't we, when a couple of kids maybe are playing with toys and one child has a toy in their hands. We might say they're master of that toy. And another child comes along, and it's a very good-looking toy. And so they come, and they want to take the toy. And little children, they don't know how to say please and thank you very well, do they? They just wrestle the toy from one another. There's a struggle. There's a fight to surrender mastery, to surrender possession. Some of you, you know about this struggle. You know about this fight. Sometimes, Chris... When we choose to come to the point of baptism, there's a bit of a struggle to be had. There's a bit of a fight to be entered. You're making declaration that sin has no mastery over you. It hasn't for some time. But you're making declaration that this is your way of life going forward. You're journeying just like Christian all the way to the presence of God in eternal glory. There's sometimes a bit of a fight to be had. I know there's some good people around you and the Spirit of God in you. The fight is fierce. But the victory is secure. How does the fight get described in this story? It says here that in this combat, no man can imagine, unless he had seen and heard as I did, what yelling and hideous roaring Apollyon made all the time of the fight. He spake like a dragon. And on the other side, what sighs and groans burst from Christian's heart. 
I never saw him all the while give so much as one pleasant look till he perceived he had wounded Apollyon with his two-edged sword. It's the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. Then indeed he did smile and look upward, but twas the dreadfulest sight that I ever saw. It's old-fashioned language. You can read the story for yourself to get a sense of it. We think that the Christian fight is like a game of cricket. You know, there's rules and regulations. Everyone wears nice, neatly pressed white clothes. You know, and people clap politely from the stands when somebody does a good thing. And you stop for tea and cucumber sandwiches. It's not the Christian life. The fight that we're called to, it's not a game of cricket. It's not pleasant. The rules may be adhered to by us, but they ain't by the other side. The fight is dreadful. The attack is hideous. But again, I say the victory is secure. In this life, the Bible says, we may not yet have resisted to the point of shedding blood, but are we resisting sin? Are we fighting the schemes of the enemy? Are we seeking the front line and fighting on behalf of those who don't even know how to fight for themselves? Do we care? Are we afraid? It's one thing to count the cost and to pay it. It's another thing to count the cost and run scared. I tell you, anybody who is with Christ is a victor, is an overcomer. And God calls us to fight with him. John Bunyan wrote those incredible words of the Pilgrim's Progress. There was another Puritan pastor at the similar time in history, a man named William Gurnall, and he wrote a book called The Christian in Complete Armor. And it has the most marvelous subtitle of any book I've ever heard in my life. It's brilliant. Here's the subtitle of what it is to be a Christian in complete armor. Of the saints' war against the devil, wherein a discovery is made of that grand enemy of God and his people, in his policies, power, seat of his empire, wickedness, and chief design he hath against the saints. They're not finished yet. A magazine opened. It doesn't mean that kind of magazine. It means a magazine full of gunpowder and weaponry. A magazine is opened from whence the Christian is furnished with spiritual arms for the battle, helped on with his armor and taught the use of his weapon, together with the happy issue of the whole war. You don't need to read the book now, do you? You know exactly what happens in the whole hit. Truthfully, Christians, we need to recognize that that's what it is for us to be a part of the fight. It's to know what the devil's up to. It's to know what his schemes are, to recognize, to be perceptive, to be looking for the front line, to recognize that God has opened the magazine of his armory, that there is weaponry and power and possibility for anybody who will join with him, that we can go in faith, confident of the outcome, and that we can know, as that old guy called it, the issue of the war. That is the outcome of the war. And as I close, what is the outcome of the war? Well, I find it in Revelation chapter 12 and verse 11. And it says there, 
talking about this war, that they, that is the saints, that is you and me, if we've got guts for the fight, they overcame. How? By the blood of the Lamb, Jesus Christ himself, and by the word of their testimony. I don't know whether you realize, Chris, this evening, that by making a testimony of faith, you were fighting for Jesus. You thought you were just telling us something good, and you were, but you were fighting. You were swinging a punch, and it was a good one. Swing some more. Christians, you're going to get swinging. Come on. Are you going to get swinging? Are you going to swing some punches? Are you going to fight? Are you going to bloody the nose of wickedness? Can I say bloody from the pulpit? I've said it twice now. You're going to bloody the nose of wickedness in our world. Because somebody needs to. Are you going to be found with the baggage? Are you going to be on the front line? You have a testimony. And the blood of the lamb is what has washed you clean. It's what will wash others clean. We need to get about this business. Get about this battle. Get about this fight. In the name of Jesus Christ and for the sake of the lost.